Properly Howard, a podcast that reviews classic films and other pulp fiction. Today we take a look at the remake of Dune. What many considered an unfilmable novel thanks to David Lynch's initial attempt, Dune is a story of political intrigue, prophecy, sandworms, and space meth. <laughs> With me to discuss this, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon. But this week, we are also joined by some very special Dune-loving guests. Yeah, Alicia is joining us from Wool Shift Dust, and John and David from the Lorehounds are with us. And if you want to skip all the nonsense, we actually start talking about the film at about minute 12. Hmm. You know, you're going to miss us talking about G.I. Joe a bit, but... Uh... Choose your own adventure. Who are able to collect any data to see who who just tunes in for the nonsense and actually stops at minute twelve? I'm assuming that most people actually stop the podcast when we actually start talking about the films. Gotcha. Because who who's watching these films? <laughs> we barely are. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many people watch White Man Can't Jump, but it can't be a lot. <laughs> I mean, th think about the Venn diagram between the people that are listening to us do whatever we do, which are people in their 70s, I would imagine, and then people watching a Jack Harlow Hulu joint. <laughs> yeah, these are these are folks that don't know how to get their streaming service to work. Mm -hmm. Again, just to remind everyone that whatever professional podcasting looks like, it's not this. So we're asking you to chime in at what one a.m. or something? <laughs> it's one a.m. Yeah, that's fine. I I'm used to it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm sorry we couldn't do better for you. I think we do that's have fine. three time zones represented. Anything you guys want to chat about before we get going? Any questions about the format of the podcast? I did. I did want clarification on the last one. What was it? It was like half. Half done, or, would it, or better half luck next the, oh time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Half what the was battle, one to grow on. Yeah. yeah this is sort is... of an homage to 80s cartoons. A lot of times what these cartoons would do. So it's like a do... lesson they should yes, learn? Yes, that's right. Okay. Is there a moral to the story? Is there okay. <laughs> a moral to the story? Yeah, half the so battle. So a moral to the story in terms of like filmmaking or in terms of like the actual story? Sort of depending on how much spice you've had. Prior to answering the question, <laughs> Steve, correct me on this. Was G.I. Joe was sort of like, tell you about something you should probably know. And then they would say, knowing has half the battle. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It would be, like, be like, hey, don't don't pet the dog that's growling. Well, now I know. Hi, doggy. Nice doggy. Here, boy. Come on. Hi, fella. <laughs> hey. Don't run. What? Walk away slowly. He tried to bite me. Never try to pet an animal you don't know. He may be lost, sick, or scared. You mean he might be dangerous. That's right. If we don't know, we leave him alone. And we don't get bit. Now I know. And no one is half the battle. G.I. Joe! No one right. is half the battle. I mean, they also had, I grew up on She-Ra, and they had, at the end of every episode, what was that little sprightly figure that would teach you lessons from the episode? Was mm. it that wasn't Snarf? Snarf, that's correct. <laughs> and He Man had well, had those as well, and you would get a little his his version yeah. of the Orco. It's all right. Okay. 
All right. Welcome, David and John and Alicia. We are covering Dune 2021 today, uh, but this is somewhat fluid. A, a few of us are book readers. Steve and I are both not. But am I right to say that, Steve? You're not a, a book, a Dune book reader? No. No. And no. Uh, what about you, John? I have never interacted with Dune beyond a couple pages where I went, not right now, um, <laughs> until last night when I watched the movie. Oh, all right. All right. Oh, so you just saw the movie for the first time last night? I did. Wow. Okay. We're having an exciting time. And then, David, <laughs> what is your relationship with Dune? I've read the core six books probably oh, maybe six or seven times. I've seen the 84 movie more times than I can count. And uh, I've watched the 21 movie maybe four times now, I think. Okay. All right. And Alicia, if I understand correctly, you will be launching a Dune book podcast shortly, right? Uh, yes. Starting in August, basically. Um, yeah, we're going to be covering, we're going to be uh, looking at the first book, Dune, and then no fewer than four adaptations of it. So sort of just looking at how each adaptation has tackled the story differently um, and trying to learn from it, you know, how, what is what makes a good ad adaptation in addition to, you know, just diving deep into the world of Dune and all of the politics and sci-fi world building and fun stuff. And how can people find that podcast? Yeah, so that that's going to be the second season of Wool Shift Dust. The first season was dedicated to the TV show Silo. And uh, in between seasons, uh, we're going to keep busy with this for a little while. Fantastic. So Wool Shift Dust. And I, I suppose I should mention that uh, together with the Lorehounds, we're all part of the Barovian Broadcast Network. Is Did I that's say it. that right? That is right. All right. I, I don't know why that's that's a tough one for me. All right, let's go ahead and, and jump into Dune here. So, Steve, this is a question for you. I will give you all of the dime bags of spice that you could ever want. <laughs> but for every dime bag, you get a face boil. This is just an anti-meth campaign, right? <laughs> I don't know, man. The, spi the spice rules the universe. Have you, no have, you, have you been to Lake County up here in, in, uh, in California? Because it's At not least... that different. Alicia, my understanding is that the spice in Amsterdam is a bit more expensive, but totally worth it. It's I, I think in the U.S., to be honest, you have access to more stuff uh, at better qualities and more variety these days, you okay. know, because it's actually more officially legal there than it is here. And we do have more desert scape, I suppose. But I, having just watched the 1984 one, I feel like I, like I prefer old spice. <laughs> <laughs> It also helps you appreciate the music of Toto much better, I found out. Yeah, wh why Toto when Sting is right there? <laughs> I wonder if that, like, the whole time just bothered him. <laughs> I think that would have been a little bit too on the nose. Yeah, what if he just, like, burst into song in the middle of the film? That, that would have just... That would have been the only thing that could have possibly made a good film better. Watching that, there were plenty of moments where I actually thought it like it, it behaves like 
it's a musical porno in many ways, but it delivers none of the music <laughs> or the pornography. It's like, so like the way that it's filmed and like what I think is going to happen next is like, this would be a really good time for someone to break into song or, you know, full money shot. Like it was just like, it was crazy. Like I just, I felt teased by the 84 version. Well, maybe you're misunderstanding what the worms represent then, Steve. <laughs> okay. So, so it's yeah, a very thinly veiled metaphor. Right. They're blessing the rains down in Arrakis. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to give Spider-Man or Captain America a musical on Broadway, you might as well give Dune a shot, right? What could go wrong? <laughs> Why not? I love it. I'll tell you what can go wrong. <laughs> pronoun city can go wrong. <laughs> I have never heard so many strings of proper nouns in my life in, this, in a two-hour span. <laughs> but I guess we'll, I'll, I'll rant about that later. <laughs> now... John, have you recently watched 84 Dune? No, I have not. Okay. So I, I will be the the virgin ears, the virgin okay. eyes, I guess. All right. We need to well, add that to our old man movies list, John. Uh, that is a classic that you must watch someday. I make John watch movies as part of our Patreon exclusive podcast. Uh, yeah, and, I was uh, thinking about it being a good pick for it. So, David, let's stay with you. Tell me about why this movie was your choice. Uh, when you messaged us about, you know, the the upcoming season for Properly Howard and, and you pitched the uh, concept for remakes and, you know, and then invited us to come on. I instantly, I dropped everything that I was doing in that moment. I just went straight to Wikipedia and I was like, okay, movie remakes, like where's the list? And mm -hmm. I started combing through the list and making, uh, making my things. And then I saw that Dune was, you know, eligible as it were. And then as we were whittling down the things, you, I think you messaged me to say that, that that was a, an option because of, you know, obviously a natural tie-in for Dune part two, the Villeneuve movie coming out. And so right. it just seemed to be the natural choice. But in addition to that, you've read the series six times. So, yes. and I'm assuming you've watched the 84 Dune before this week. Love it. Yeah. I watched it. I was watching it on double speed, uh, which is pretty fun <laughs> to watch the Baron <laughs> Harkonnen bouncing around in his little bubble suit uh, throughout the, the, the set. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did. And I was trying to catch up on the Yodorowsky uh, documentary before we started, but I, I ran out of time. So with this most recent movie, what do you feel like it got right? Like, was there, was there an aspect of the movie that you thought, oh, finally, they did this the way that I had always envisioned it? Or, wow, I can't believe they pulled that right. off. Um, I have uh, problems with the most recent movie, but I also have a lot that I liked. <laughs> Alicia and I were were going back and forth on Twitter earlier today about what certain things that we didn't like. What I did like, the ornithopters look great. Awesome. The shield looks great and the scale. I think uh, if I was going to, if you're going to force me yeah. to pick one thing, scale, they got scale, right? The ships, the worms, the, how big a planet really is relative to space, how big the guild highliners are, all of that uh, really feels deserved of this story the bigness of it the okay. the enormity the you cannot i'm a mere mortal tiny little human being <laughs> and i cannot comprehend the size 
of a guild highliner. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. felt that in this movie. What are the sort of the pyramid palace? What, what's that in place Arakeen? called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the Doom Planet. I, I think it's just the palace. The Alicia palace. may. I would just say the palace as well. Okay. I was just going to say, even when they're inside the palace, it just feels like that place was built for giants. Right. I mean, even the scale of the interior of the place is is just breathtaking. But yeah, but that that is it was like a Harkonnen building. And um, you can see that they just want to intimidate everyone around them constantly. So, you know, you put somebody in that vast space and make them feel very small. Right. You, you give some space to float around too, which is nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's important. So, John, this was your first uh, viewing. Uh, what was your takeaways from this movie? Um, well, one thing I, I really liked was the voice and how they portrayed that. It felt very unsettling and invasive, and I I almost felt like it it really portrayed to me how the character was feeling and. Something that is mind control is something that's so hard to portray on screen, right? It's something that I think books have the advantage of because you can get that inner inner monologue. But this was was a really excellent portrayal of something that just felt like violative. Um, and and of course, just the the whole way that they present this chosen one idea that is not quite the traditional chosen one, but is instead sort of a twist on it and is sort of a subversion of it. You know, is he really the chosen one because his mother subverted the prophecy and and whatnot? I, I, I'm a sucker for a good subversion of the chosen one trope. That is like one of my favorite tropes. The Mistborn trilogy with Brandon Sanderson, sort of the Wheel of Time plays with it a little bit. Like that, just just that is one of my favorite things in any kind of fantasy. All right, let's talk. Let maybe let's jump in there because I feel like there were so many stories when I was growing up that was sort of playing with some kind of messianic figure, and it was over and over and over again. I just felt like. Man, this is done to death. And then well, I saw. Well, you also grew up in the church. Well, absolutely. I mean, they kind of do that to death. You had the like traditional every one. Huh? Year. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Unto us, a child is born. <laughs> so there's there's something about sort of rehashing that old mythology that just feels like can this work anymore? Because I kind of feel like this is just oh, I feel like the last movie that I saw that where it actually worked was The Matrix. And when the, when the Matrix did it, I thought, oh, well, that's the way you do it. That that's kind of how could anyone top that? And well, I, you know, I was not, I didn't have have a lot of exposure to Dune growing up, but it felt like every other movie, every other book that I was messing with was messing with messianic typology in some way. I don't know. I just kind of feel like it's a, it's a little bit risky to try to make that work with modern film. David, you were going to say. 
No, let Alicia go because um, both her and I are biting our thumbs yeah, right now because I mean, we have so much we, to say. <laughs> we we talked about you know saving things for the end that might be spoilers from future books, and maybe this is. But let's just say that um, the series as a whole, especially, but especially like the books, like what we'll see play out in the third part of this Villeneuve trilogy is it's all about yeah, what does it mean to be this messianic figure, and what. Um, what does it cost? What is it? Uh, uh, yeah, fighting. It's my not tongue. a. It's I, not a fairy princess story. Uh, no. ultimately, it's can't it's, spell messianic without messy guys. It's just the way it works. That's <laughs> exactly right. But it's just the, also the question of like why why he's perceived this way in general and in, mm-hmm. in the first place. And did, has he bought into his own bullshit? Sorry, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? You um, just did. <laughs> yeah. You ruined it. That's right. You opened up a e. can. Now you can believe me. If I know John, it's all gonna go downhill from here. <laughs> um, no, I feel like. How, yeah. I, well, I was just gonna say, and I'll, I'll let you finish for sure. Yeah. I feel like in this film, I was totally invested, and I wasn't like rolling my eyes, thinking, "Oh, geez, they're gonna do this again." So, like, I'm hooked. Like, I kind of, I'm kind of just fascinated to see what they do with the trope. Uh, but I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alicia. No, I was just going to ask uh, David how he was going to dance around that topic. Yeah, I think I have to go back to one of the things that they did wrong in this film. And the thing that they didn't, this part of the story that they couldn't tell or didn't tell the choices that they made was that Paul was being trained as a mentat. Paul was being right. trained as a, a, a you know top class combatant fighter. You know, he had the he had the best uh, fighting master instructor uh, in the galaxy uh, who is leading a army who is who's the head of uh, an army. This is Duncan Idaho. I'm talking about um, or oh, Gurney Halleck. Sorry. Well, Duncan and Gurney. Anyway, um, that the Atreides are building a fighting force that will rival the Sadukar. And so uh, Paul is being taught the, the top of the art of, of this army. And at the same time, he's being taught all of the Benny Gesserit um, uh, secrets by his mother. And so when he gets and, but see, then there's an and there, is that there's the Missionaria Protectiva, which the Benny Gesserit went out into the universe and seeded mythology throughout the universe, such that if one of their people or their plans ever somebody needed an out or an escape there was a mythology that you could tap into and use that as your escape route or you know as your way to gain control of a situation on the planet so this was done thousands of years ago where all of these myths were embedded uh in all these cultures and language and as and planets so there's this weird coming together of paul's training and all of the and the bloodline that he's representing and then this political trick that the Bene Gesserit set up. And so these two things sort of come together. And so there's a deeper level, which I couldn't get into at all in the movie. Yeah. Do you feel that was better represented in the uh, 84 version? It was, I don't think it's, Alicia, I don't think, in my opinion, it's it's not represented in. I mean, it's, it's, 
I, I went back and I've watched the 84 version just the other day, you know, in preparation for this. Um, and I had, sort, I realized I'd sort of like romanticized, like imagining like scenes that I was, were cut from the 21 version versus the book. I had sort of thought like, oh, well, they're in the 84 version. I'm like, no, you, they're not. You know what is actually the most complete version is the sci-fi version from 2000. All the miniseries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's cheesy production uh, effects, but it's actually it's it's in some ways it's you know it's one of it's one of the best in terms of uh being able to tell more layers like this of the story i have a question about that since you've raised the idea of a series mm -hmm. why is this a movie because right. it felt to me when i was watching it that there was a lot thrown at me that i would have much more easily digested and much more easily gotten into if it were a season of a tv show agreed I think a lot of people have that same thought, John. I don't think you're alone. Uh, Is it a that. rights thing? Like, I, I, I legitimately am, am asking. If I so don't let me just go ahead and push back a little bit here. I feel like watching this film in an IMAX theater with the, the, the scale that you mentioned before was one of the best movie-going experiences of my life. Wow. The sound, like, I just felt like, and it, it could have been like I was cooped up with COVID for, you know, a good two years or something. So I was sort of ready to get back in the theater, but just the, the, just the beauty of this film, it just looks amazing. Like I said, the sound, the scale of it, it was, it, I'm so glad it was on the big screen. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I can agree with that. I also think that there's two things at play here, right? Two things are equally true. The my experience, my introduction to Dune outside of just it being sort of an inside joke um on SNL back in '84 and all that stuff, is was this film, right? So I don't have I don't have a comparison. I don't have something to say they didn't do this, they didn't do that, oh they they under they undercut this part because I we don't, I don't have a frame of reference really, but listening to uh to you know what David's talking about, um, like there's an interesting dichotomy between uh, you know the 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 different world, like especially if you look at the, the the militaristic side and maybe the more spiritual side that that Paul's going through that doesn't get really captured, and that's an interesting thing to me that I just you know would it be better would I have had a better time in the movie with that maybe, um, but I'm certainly obviously missing some of the nuance of the of the original work. Yeah, that's a hard thing to to do. He, Villeneuve had to make a movie that you could see without reading the books and understand right. it. And, and we talked to John and I talked about that a lot with our rings of power coverage is where do you, what choices do you have to make to hit your central themes and, but still won't be able to watch something that is watchable. Um, and the, I think what John was pointing out uh, with why isn't this a series is the, is one of the questions to ask, even though, the the scale of it does fit IMAX or you know large screen performance. Is it direct directorial hubris maybe that says <laughs> they feel that this is this, this is a film that cannot or this is a book that cannot be filmed on and, and oh I'll show them. Wow. Yes, probably there's a bit of that. I was uh, the first thing I wrote down when I was watching the 21 version was that the first minute of this film maybe just even the, the first 30 seconds of this film, sort of a master class in world building. 
whereas the the 84 film it was like oh geez what a, exposition what jump. is happening yeah. here virginia madsen every once in a while fading back into the stars as she continues to talk and then we get a space hemorrhoid <laughs> so i don't know i that, that's sort of my answer john what do you what do you think about that well I think it's time we all just admit that a lot of us would pay money to go see premieres of TV shows in the theaters. And if movie theaters want to stay open, maybe they should just let people watch HBO on Sunday night in a theater. Mm. That'd be interesting. Maybe that's the answer, right? If I could get a drink and something to eat, I would. Yeah, right? Like, that sounds like a great experience. I would watch a 10-episode Dune series every Sunday. Like, that sounds like a great, you know, entertainment thing. Could you imagine Succession on a big screen like that? Or Last of Us? What a time. What a time. We can dream. All right. Look, 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 look. <laughs> I, I, I got I to reel us in here. There are certain movies you just want to see on a big screen. Sure. I mean, there, there are movies that I feel like, yeah, fine. I, I'll, I'll watch a- Asteroid City on a little screen. I don't mind that. But, I think Wes Anderson would be furious you know, hearing that, but yes. <laughs> it is the kind of movie that like it. I probably would enjoy just as much. But this is the kind of movie that I kind of feel like you're robbing yourself of some kind of important experience, not to see it in a theater with people on the big screen. But anyway, I, I'll get off. No, I mean, so that's far. fair. I mean, I watched yeah. it on a TV. I didn't see it in a theater. So I, I don't know. I don't know what this looked like in IMAX. All right. Let me ask every, everyone uh, if there's one tweak that you could make. Uh, David, you've already touched on something that you didn't think but that they I still did add right. One? <laughs> but if there was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If if there was a tweak that you could make that you think would improve Dune Part One, the diction, what would it be? I absolutely hated the speech of the characters in this. They sounded like I was at my local grocery store talking to my neighbor about the weather this is a noble Mm. house this is a house that's uh uh, so powerful that it's challenging the power of the emperor and the emperor's death troopers and they're set into this trap that they can't get out the it's the um family line goes all the way back Uh, alicia remind me is it it's not Ag- is it Agamemnon or yeah it is Agamemnon. Agamemnon goes all the way back to Earth and the Greek, you know, uh, and yeah, they talk. Right. Yeah, yeah, and they talk like I just met my buddy down at the Seven Eleven. It drove me mad. It really, I wanted to mm. scream and and shout and light my what non-existent hair on fire. Hmm. I just think that I, I, well, I mean, I don't okay. know if you've noticed, we as a people, uh, we we're dumber lately <laughs> give it another eight thousand years i'm actually impressed that we're able to to speak at all uh, alicia what about you what, what would tweak um yeah well i know this is another one that i know um i know david agrees with me on and it's the characterization of jessica so um i think the casting is perfect uh Re- rebecca ferguson is a fantastic lady jessica but She's a Benny Gesserit and she should not be freaking weeping all the time. Like every time we see her, she's crying. And this is supposed to be a stoic person. Now, I understand they're doing it because um, because, you know, Mm. in the book, you get to see inside her head and you get to see she is in turmoil, even though she doesn't show it to people. 
So there has to be a way to show it on screen, but I just think they could have done it through conversation with the people closest to her in life. So that's my tweak. One of the weirdest things about the original movie or the 84 movie is the amount that they that they overlay their right. whispered thoughts like right. i feel like everything is either like mm-hmm. either people are screaming or whispering in that film <laughs> the drama. and there's some of the funniest lines there's some of the funny but the, <laughs> it was like i'd rather i'd rather against my better instincts i'd rather like this duke or whatever it was i just loved that <laughs> one quite a bit well one of my favorite scenes is when patrick stewart Charges into battle with a bulldog and a baby Bjorn. <laughs> and what's with the bulldogs? <laughs> well, were there bulldogs in the, in the book? No, I don't think that was a detail that we got covered. In I mean, book. but I was also, I was distracted on this rewatch, just wondering, like, what happened to the dogs? <laughs> uh, all right, Steve, a, a tweak uh, that you would make to improve. Um, well, I think I should also mention this since, since this is my first time watching it and I and I, I I liked it. Right. And I was like, I was kind of on edge because I'm like, I, it sounds to me like Dune is a very complicated and maybe a world I'm not really all that interested in. And I and uh-huh. I, I did like what I saw. Right. So in, so on one hand, you go, OK, well, maybe this was a Dune movie for non Dune lovers in some ways. Right. Like this is the this is diet dune mm. right um and <laughs> new new dune yeah and so and i mountain dune and i liked uh, uh we could do it all day um we uh, and, I, and and so i liked it so and but i do think you know it's it's kind of hard to know now that i i think i'm a little bit clouded by like kind of listening to what you're talking about and doing a little bit of research for this podcast there were elements that um i think i would have wanted to see a little bit more like maybe a little bit more um on of the emperor you know because like the emperor's sort of concept is sort of it's suggested but it sounded like you know at least from the 84 version uh when I, when the aforementioned space hemorrhoid comes in and they have their dialogue like there's <laughs> there's there's a little bit more to it and I, I guess maybe i like a little more of the the political intrigue behind it like maybe what's also pushing this and what's you know how are the dominoes falling um so maybe that would have been it but again i think you, you run into so many risks and maybe some things will be more revealed as you get into the um into the next uh the next films but um so you're asking for more exposition steve not exposition like more just give me more things right i mean like there's there's a there's a background there's there's a uh like i mean there's an element of like so the david lynch 84 version i mean there were plenty of opportunities to show and not tell but it it really leaned heavily into tell but like I would have liked to have known a little yeah. bit more or seen a little bit more of the uh, other worlds kind of behind it. Like because I while the while the scale was big, the universe didn't feel as big as I think maybe the 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 novels have created it to be. I think in in one of the things that they got wrong is they waited to green light part two until they saw the box office mm-hmm. numbers. And I felt that that did a massive disservice for everyone who's not read or seen or you know not partaken in in the dune prior mm. because you then stop on this cliffhanger and you're not vested and you're not interested and you're like well i don't know am i ever going to get to see the completion of this why would i bother and and i think if you had known hey this is a trilogy and we're going to get all of this mm. you're going to get all this stuff then i think you can hang out and uh and suspend questions that you have your questions but then not be uh driven by them in in the same way 
Yeah, when when my wife and I watched this, I think she may have had she may have seen the original Dune, just who knows why. Um, and so she she was also kind of like, oh, well, let's give it a shot. And we both really liked it. And we were both in the same exact spot, which was, man, I sure hope this does well enough to get another one because I I I'm in I did feel invested, but I also was invested in the sense that I know that there's more that I I, I want to find out, and hopefully that gets revealed, right? And so in some ways, maybe. And, you know, maybe there'll be a little bit more nuance even in, in another film, because now that that it's been greenlit, you can kind of explore the space, for lack of a better term, uh, a little yeah. bit more, maybe because you've been mm -hmm. given permission. Uh, Alicia, uh, how, how do you know how far they're going to go with the uh, with the trilogy? Are they going to go into the Doom um, Messiah book? Yeah, so the third one, the third movie is going to be based on Doom Messiah. Um, OK, yeah, I, I say do God Emperor Doom, you cowards. <laughs> but we're going to get a complete Paul Atreides story. Yes, basically. Right? Yeah, that's we're going to get the going whole for. thing. OK, mm -hmm. good. So, yeah, there's going to there has that necessitates uh conversations and and uh, uh storytelling on these more complex mm -hmm. and, and deeper levels so right right so then they're going to get into what the, all of these different complicated layers about the Bene Gesserit and what it means to be a messiah yeah okay John what about you if there was a tweak you could make that you think that would improve this movie you know I've read a lot of fantasy I've watched a lot of fantasy I've consumed a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and I like to think I can handle a lot of word salad, a lot of proper mm. nouns. I can say Nirnaeth yeah. Arnoniad. I can say Teleronriod. But I cannot keep track of all of these proper nouns. Mm. And they needed to slow it down because I was like, he's a what? He's a Benedict Cumberbatch? He's, and he's <laughs> supposed to be the Quasimodo? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what you're saying in these words. <laughs> And I, I, uh. I've always thought of myself as someone who, who cannot, who has not been defeated by a piece of, of uh, like a set of proper nouns in some fantasy sci-fi world. And this did it. This broke me wow. at, at a certain point. <laughs> I had to say to myself, I am not going to remember all these names and I'm going in for vibes. And wow. that's okay. Like I still, I still so, got the vibe. I still understood. He's got magic yeah. powers. He's <laughs> basically a messiah. Okay. Whatever. But like, boy, oh boy, did this like make my eyes glaze over sometimes. This is exactly the trouble that anyone who tries to make a film like this faces that's based on sort of a beloved book, especially of this kind of story. You're absolutely going to bifurcate the audience. You're going to get people to feel like, ah, I wish it was closer to book content. I would have liked it better. If they would have just kept to the original story. And then there are people like us who haven't read the books who just wanted the storytelling to be clearer and more simple. And I don't know. I feel like you you, you really can't win with mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Maybe this is a problem with the, the original book and not necessarily a problem with this particular movie. I didn't I didn't trip on this. But you can see I had now a hard time why the some of the choices they made in the 84 movie they did the exposition the voiceover mono you know inner monologue stuff um there are yeah so, there are technologies in the 84 movie that have no place in the books at all but they they use them to bridge concept mm. and and move plot uh to to explain why 
um, the House Atreides is so powerful. Oh, well, they have these weirding modules. That's I was going to say one of my favorite, mm. my favorite things, weirding modules. Yes. So that's actually my, <laughs> the biggest uh, beef that I have with David Lynch about this film is he said that he used the weirding modules because he didn't want to do some sort of like sand Kung Fu. I'm like, sand Kung Fu sounds like <laughs> so awesome. It should be the title of a movie on its own. Like, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> just for, for anybody who hasn't, John, and anybody else who hasn't seen the 84 movie, the Atreides forces have this um, device that they can attach to their throat and then they can focus their sound and they have a little handheld unit that can then shoot sound lasers, basically. And um, uh, it's it was a device to prove to show how dangerous they were relative to the emperor's forces. Mm. And and it was really hard to explain how the Atreides are dangerous it has to do with loyalty. It has to do with training. It has to do with esprit de corps, a whole bunch of stuff. And so they just boiled it down into, uh, well, they have this super weapon. Um, and it's fine that they did it in the 84 movie, but it, it's also fine that they didn't do it in the 21 movie. It shouldn't have been in the 21 movie. Mm. Um, Unless they would have used the phrase, let's get weird, and then they unleash it. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> so, Alicia, I want to um, ask... For folks who just saw this for the first time and they need a little bit of help, I just thought maybe some very basic plot points that you could help us with. Would you be able to help us with who the Atreides are, who the Harkonnens are, and what the Empire is, and what is the relationship between these sort of major I mean yeah so think brokers. of it like a triangle basically where you know the emperor um ostensibly is and wants to be the one in control um but then at the same time you have these very two powerful houses the Atreides and the Harkonnens and so he kind of basically pits them against each other because he's worried that particularly the Atreides army is getting too good and could beat his own so Mm. Um, he just, you know, thinks, uh, if my enemies weaken each other, then that makes me stronger. So there's a suggestion in this film that the, that Arrakis, the, the dune planet has been sort of sent to the Atreides to be stewards, but it's sort of like, a it's a curse disguised as a blessing, like, like there's. It looks like a gift, but maybe it's sort of bring it. It's meant to bring about the ruin or something. Yeah, like I mean, it's it's this whole pitting against each other thing because they he took it from the Harkonnens to give to the Atreides, and he knows that this there's going to be war over the spice. It's it's sort of inevitable. Um, so they're putting them in a position where and setting them up so that the Atreides can be you know wiped out. Uh, so that yeah, mm. he can be more powerful. And should I think of the emperor as sort of like sort of a Palpatine no. kind of figure who's almost all powerful? No. I mean, I think if he were, I, I think that a lot of his motivation is that he's not as powerful as he wants to be, you know? Um, and so I, I wouldn't say, and it's not, you know, it's not that he's completely like the Harkonnens are more mustache twirly than the emperor. Don't, wouldn't you say, David? Absolutely. And I think it's if if we frame this as a feudal society, then you can uh, and the Landsrad, which is sort of the gathering of the noble houses into some sort of quorum, uh, some sort of deliberative body. 
um, the emperor is is playing uh, his enemies against each other, like Alicia said, to to weaken. He wins no matter what. The emperor wins no matter what. Right. So there's there's more at stake in having these two houses go to war than there is to like cease spice production. I guess because I think that on the surf on the surface you kind of think. Well, if spice is sort of the think of spice as oil, most important think, aspect. Okay. Well, I know, but but the the emperor seems to be willing to punt on spice production in order to get this 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 war going. They stockpiled, right? Okay. <laughs> he knew he knew he was setting That's up. Helpful. So it it it's a long you know there's a longer game, so they it, it cost them, but yeah they were they were planning this for a while exactly this I is the yeah very much a game of of uh space chess was there a trope a cliche or a device that you enjoyed in this film steve let's start with you. um i think jason momoa he's he's a cliche that i i'm all i'm okay with <laughs> <laughs> I was, you actually stole mine. I was going to say, give me a guy who's decided that I'm going to give my life in a, in a sort of a, almost a suicide effort to fight 20 men to save, you know, save the day. Momoa sort of like was built for that scene. <laughs> Nothing beats the the close the door. No, no. The, the, every time. And that's right. actually a change from the right. book. So I, I don't mind that change because on in the book, he just kind of dies off the page. <laughs> it's a bummer. It's a bummer. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, David, what about you? A device, a trope or a cliche that you enjoyed? <clears throat> I think the dream sequency stuff as the hero's uh, on their journey and uh, their visions are coming closer and closer to matching mm. up to the reality of the moment. So, you know, he's been dreaming a lot about Chani and then he finally meets Chani. Uh, so I thought that they did that good and they used the dreams in some interesting ways too. There's some other, uh, for book readers, there's some other cool stuff going on there, but I thought that the whole dream uh, device worked well. Yeah, I, I wish that they, I wish Zendaya would have had more of a role earlier. And I don't know how to do that with this film, but um, I guess is the problem, part of the problem with doing a part doing one. Doing a part one without telling us that a part two um, is coming. Right. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a big one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I that, like that, that they, device didn't work. Yeah, I guess I would have just. But I like that they made, uh, it was Zendaya, it's Chani, who is the one who opened with the narration instead right. of Princess Ireland, which is uh, what happens in the 84 film and the books. So, yeah. Alicia, let's stay with you. Uh, a device, a trope, or a cliche that you Yeah, okay. Well, in. sticking with Chani, I would say just the way they did the Fremen, you know, the whole desert people trope um this is obviously also the from the story that invented it but this is the adaptation that did it the best where you just really believe that these are people who are relaxed Mm. in this setting this is their home and uh, yeah they nailed it i believe these people could ride worms and relaxed with (laughs) with death and life and fighting yeah so i love it 
I love it when two cultures are interacting for the first time and there's some kind of custom that seems like an insult to one of the cultures, but it's sort of like a a gesture of respect by the other culture. I thought the the table spitting scene was really good. It is a good, that's a great pick. A really good pick. I thought you were just talking about this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Steve, Mm -hmm. is this film... Better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard film? Um, I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a Howard plus two, probably because of scale and uh, just uh, overall, just how consistent I, I felt with the with the tone. Um, and the eighty four one uh, is a Howard minus eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Which means I will watch that probably a bunch. Because <laughs> now that I saw that today, I was like, why have I not watched this a ton? Are you kidding me right now? This is insane. Just the Toto alone, I'm in. Have some gummies and watch. It's oh, good. baby, you better believe it. Uh, David, uh, better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard film? How uh, does the scale for the plus or minus just go as far as you want? Or basically, this is just for you to say whatever you want. There's no, there's no logic. This is the, this is the backbone of our podcast, and it means nothing. <laughs> How did you feel when you left this film? I would say that it's uh, a Howard's plus one, plus one point five, uh, somewhere right in there. I had a lot of problems, but I have a lot of problems with a lot of Howard films. So. Um, uh, yeah, I think it was was better than the average Ron Howard film. What about you, John? I'm gonna I'm gonna come in. I'm gonna say it's properly Howard. It's wow. uh, oh, about nice. it's about a Ron Howard film. You know, it's got its good, it's got its good moments. It's got its bad moments. It entertains me, and then it doesn't. Uh, Alicia, <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it an anti Howard. Because it's basically like the antithesis of what a Ron Howard film is. It's, you know, Ron Howard films like heart and quirk and gumption. And this is uh, not that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I I like it. I like I like that you subverted the scale. I am going to stick with the scale. I'm going to say Howard plus six. I love this film. I've watched it three times, maybe four times. Um. I it just just breathtaking to me. I feel like I finally get Dune. I finally get oh, I t- now I want to go read the books. So uh, this is sort of my entry point into uh, I guess a, a mythology that I knew that I would probably like, but I never really took the time to get to know it. So I, I love this film. Loved it a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna jump into there. Yeah, so I this was only the second time I'd watched uh, this one, um, and I was. My schedule's been kind of wonky, so I ended up watching it like till like one thirty in the morning last night, and I, uh, I was just, I was like, I, you know, when you watch something the second time, the first time you see it, it's sort of the same thing as you, Anthony. It's like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm kind of giving this a shot. Let's go. And you know, I was taken by it, so I was kind of a little bit uh, anxious to see it again to think like, I wonder if it's going to be too much of like sort of what uh would like some of John's critiques like because I do remember that part but I was so enamored with the rest of it and but I still I I, I thought it was great I love the ride the whole way through the scale is 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 fantastic I I understood the story as well as I probably could and then um uh which I was also a little bit nervous like well maybe I just really liked what I was looking at but no I ended up really liking the mm-hmm. films 
Yeah. There was a couple visual sequences in this film that just took my breath away. And one of them was when Baron Harkonnen levitates for the first time. To me, that was just, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then what do you call those, um, those devices that will lift up the spice harvesters? Carryall. Yeah, the carryall. That the, for the first time you saw those sort of ballooned vertical blimps that extended above. I I love that. That's a show. And, in, I mean, there are carryalls in the harvesters, and then yeah. the uh, uh, the the balloon lifting thing. That's a movie invention because he never he never really explains it in the in the books as far as I can recall. Okay. So it's a. I, I agree. I, I think it's a brilliant adaptation. Uh, it's so visually striking. Production design is perfect. Yeah. 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 I feel like I've been swimming in CGI soup for the last 20 years. So for anything to kind of really show me something special, it was a revelatory experience. I felt like I had not seen this aesthetic. I uh, I spent a lot of time trying to pick apart the effects um, because like, you know, you watch things and you, you know, you watch them at a time and you go, it'll never get better than this. And then, you know, then Ghostbusters 2 comes out and that was, yeah. But then, you know, you just move on to the next. And but so this was like one of those. I'm like, all right, like, you know, we're in, we're in a pretty golden age of, of effects, obviously. And but it's like I was just kept on picking things apart. And I was like, this is this is really great. I mean, this is I mean, I feel like I'm somewhere else. All right. So just focused on this first part. So we don't have the entire series in mind. Is there half the battle one to grow on moment? Let's start with you, David. Don't ever make a bargain with the mustache twirling bad guy and think that they're going to actually deliver what they promise to you. So Dr. Yui, sorry, dude, mm-hmm. take a lesson. <laughs> don't, don't believe the Baron. <laughs> Alicia. Yeah. I would say, you know, if um, you're offered to take over a, the stronghold of your greatest enemy after your concubine um gave you a son instead of a daughter they're supposed to marry their son um say no (laughs) just a basic Mm. everyday life lesson we all need to hear Mm. john half the battle one to grow on moment if you are choosing a name for your son who's supposed to be the messiah of a great sci-fi fantasy family it's not paul You had a you had trouble with all the names. That was the one common name. <laughs> but that's the problem is there's so much dissonance between that name and every other name in this thing. I don't know. Like, Duncan Idaho was Leto, pretty. Uh, Paul, Duncan, Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho. <laughs> Fantastic, Steve. You got a half the battle one to grow on. Hey, spice and moderation, kids. <laughs> little bit to relax. Don't overdo it. Exactly. You know, like I said, maybe get the CBD spice, right? Just a little something to take the edge off. Uh, well, this has been a, a delightful conversation. Uh, I I feel like I, I just love this movie. And I feel like I, I feel like I could really benefit from a read through the books and maybe in a company podcast. So, Alicia, I will be tuning into Wool Shift Dust for sure. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Look for um, a preview episode to drop at the end of July, like last day of July, I think. Fantastic. And uh, David and John, what are you guys up to uh, with the Lorehounds? We are about to start uh, full coverage of Foundation. Fantastic. 
Um, I think by the time this drops, it will be will be running full in on that. So I just yeah. realized that that's exactly why I couldn't handle the proper nouns is that I've been watching Foundation at the same time. Oh, <laughs> right. That'll break and I brain. can't I can't take that many in at the same time. There's a conveyor belt. You know, there's a limit. <laughs> and then I think after that, we've got uh, Soka which I think John is, I'm guessing I, we haven't, John and I haven't talked since the trailer just dropped. I'm hype. Yeah. I figured. Okay. All right. All right. And wheel of time Steve, and wheel of time. And Steve, of time. next week we are, uh, we're doing RoboCop. Oh baby. So, so I'm looking for it. I, I don't, I think I might've seen a few scenes from the RoboCop remake, uh, but I just watched the original RoboCop for the first time. Which is insane to me. It's insane to me that this is your first time watching RoboCop. You can't call yourself a Gen Xer, Anthony. <laughs> I have a few blind spots. There was something about that grotesque head protruding from that machine body. I, it's too much to take, man. It's too much. <laughs> but did you watch movies like Alien and Predator growing up? No, never oh, really? watched any oh, of them. Okay. All right. I, I was I was not into the scary movie stuff, but I have been in in more recent years, and of course, Steve has helped me. Yeah, this that is has the, been my guide through the the, the, edu- the education of Doctor Ladon. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> is this a Pygmalion? Is this a remake? <laughs> A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>